to love. We talked about in conflict. We talked about in marriage, especially when marriage starts to go south a bit. And this week, we're going to talk about uh, with enemies. Now, uh, do you remember back when you were a kid? Um, if you're a kid, you're like, yeah. Uh, but if you remember back when you're a kid, if you're an adult, like those times when you had interactions with your parents where like your parents, they were in the I'm putting my foot down mode and the conversation would go something like this. You would say, yeah, yeah but mom and dad, or mom, dad, and they would say, just do it. Just do it. But, but you don't understand. Do it. And that's like all they would say, and they, that short uh, phrase meant they were going to win this no matter how many times I came back and said, yeah, 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 but, but, well, yeah, but. Um, this morning, can I tell you, when we talk about this subject of enemies, just picture that same interaction with God. Not that God doesn't want to hear your conversation. He always invites us to come and talk to him. But in the end, this morning, God is going to be driving us to say, just live it out. Just do it. And we'll have to trust God that what he says to do and how he says to do it, it's actually going to bring a better life, better relationships, less stress. And so this morning, we're going to look at this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to guess if you've been around the church world at all, and even if you haven't, this is a phrase that has found its way into popular culture. I'm going to guess that you're like, you have never heard this where you've said, I totally disagree with that. In fact, you've probably heard it and like you agree immediately. But boy, this one is hard to live out in every aspect. So if you got in here this morning, you didn't get sermon notes and you'd like some, feel free uh, to grab some. Uh, or excuse me, not grab some, uh, lift up your hands, <laughs> Pastor Anson, you can grab it from him, um, but he'll bring you some uh, this morning. So thanks, Anson, for, for doing that. Uh, if you've got your Connect card, uh, I want to invite you, use that. Maybe the Lord is just going to share something with you and you want prayer for that, or you would like uh, just to talk about it this week. Use that card. I'd love to connect with you uh, over this coming week. Uh, would be great. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. When I worked at Burger King in high school, my first job, Burger King, right? Um, David was my adversary. See, he would work on the uh, hamburger board with me. That was the uh, countertop where we made all the hamburgers, things that uh, you know, basically your hamburgers, your cheeseburgers, your Whoppers, right? And we would just kind of whip those things as quick as possible, uh, especially during the lunch rush. And so David uh, decided what, what he would do is uh, he would like to put the ketchup five spirals and the mustard three spirals and then two pickles on top of the ketchup mustard, throw the bun on and send it, wrap it, get it out, right? And I'm over there going, no, David, you put the pickles down, then five spiral ketchup, three spirals mustard. Then when I put the bun on top and the customer takes the bun off, they have this beautiful spiral uh, ketchup and mustard. You can't get that with the pickles. And so we just decided to go round and round on this pickle issue um, of when the pickles would go on. And I always threatened, we're going to look at the training video. We're getting out the VHS and we're going to watch the proper way to do this. Now, you're laughing and I laugh about it too. But actually in the time, in the moment, it actually caused friction on the hamburger board. Because I'd look over and he would do it and I'd be like, God, wow, man. And when I would do it, he'd do the same thing because he thought, you know, I was doing my way despite him, you know, or in spite of him and, you know, trying to cause. And so we just had this. To the one day where our manager actually said, hey, I need to talk to you guys. 
Now, usually, when you get talked to about the manager, uh, hey, I want to talk to you about being late, or hey, you clocked out early, or Clay, you're not, hey, I got to talk to you guys, um, this fight about pickles has got to end. I mean, this, it's gotten back to me um, that you guys, and she said, that you guys uh, cannot work together, or you can't be, as she said, productive because of your pickle issue. Um, now, I'm not sure that was true. I think Dave and I were still like the fastest burger assemblers, you know, that, that Burger King, at least that franchise had. Um, but it actually had somehow became apparent to other people that we were fussing about pickles and when they would go on. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, this morning, uh, we're talking about that same subject, but probably in things that are more serious. In fact, probably in things that have caused more damage to your life more hardships in your relationship. These little things where you didn't see eye to eye with somebody or you like hunkered down and said, I'm doing it this way, they're gonna do it this way. Or this little thing where they did something and you interpreted it a certain way. You interpreted their intention without knowing what it is. And boom, you had an incident. Now, what's the, well, Bill, come on, we know the answer to that. Listen. We know the answer to this, right? Come on. Man. Pickles first, always. Uh, here's the irony of that story. Um, I hate pickles. I hate pickles. My worst moment ever working for Burger King, two and a half years, was putting a pickle vat up on the shelf, you know, full of pickles and liquid, pickle liquid, and spilling it, and it just all the way down me. I just told my manager, I'm done, I'm off, I'm clocking off, and I'm done for the day. Anyhow, that was just extra free information. I don't even know where I was at, Bill. <laughs> Talking about enemies, something to that effect. Um, well, let's just jump into the passage. That's a good place to go, I guess, from here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So take a look at it. It says this, Jesus is the one talking here. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I want to just jump in, and as we've been doing each week in this series, we're just going verse by verse, and we're just talking about what does this mean? Who is Jesus talking to? What's the context behind it? And then the most important question this morning is, like, what does it mean that we ought to go and do uh, as well? Here's what I think. Most of us are smart enough that we don't go around saying you have a bunch of enemies. Like if you have a relationship where you're like, eh, it's kind of a little bit adversarial or you just don't get along, you don't agree. And, and uh, even when you try to be pleasant, you always seem to circle back to having this angst. You don't call that person your enemy. Like we just actually, I mean, we kind of know better, but we act this way a lot. We act like they're our enemy and how we let the relationship play out. And Jesus is going to challenge us this morning in how we should interact, whether you've said they're an enemy or not, 
how we should interact with those people. So first verse, let's jump on it. Verse 43, Jesus says, you have heard it said, I love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard it said. Jesus is basically saying this. Um, Listen, you guys, you know what the common thought is, right? The common thought is, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It It was like Jesus saying, look, you've heard it said, you know, what comes around goes around, right? Look, phrases like that. That's all Jesus is saying. Sometimes we think uh, Jesus might be quoting the Old Testament because we understand the eye for an eye passage. We'll get to that in just a second. But, but actually, the Old Testament, this term, love your neighbor, we actually find in the Old Testament that, that Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we actually find there it says to love your neighbor. And guess what's mixed in there? Like, as yourself as well. And so we actually find even the Old Testament, we get this idea about loving others. Then we get this little interesting passage in the law, which actually says, your stranger to your land is your neighbor. Ooh, do you know that was in there? And so all we find that even in the Old Testament, even the beginning, they get this understanding of how to treat everyone. So Jesus is saying, look, I know you've heard it said. I know like you have developed this kind of thought, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. Or maybe today we'd say, look, you know, hey, you got to take care of yourself. You know, we might say, yeah, you've heard it said, you know, you got, you got to do you kind of things. Whatever this prevailing thought is, that's all Jesus is saying. You've heard the prevailing thought, right? This was the Hebrew way of life. This is how the Hebrews, God's chosen people, this is how they lived out life. They didn't think much otherwise. This is how they understood, they even interpreted the law and carried this out. There's a phrase you might be uh, f- familiar with, especially if, you, uh, like, if you're at all into like, law and those type of things or study that. It's called uh, lex talionis, and it means this. It's the law of retaliation. The law of retaliation. And it actually resembles, often, it resembles the offense committed. So the law of retaliation means if you drive by my house and knock my mailbox down with your car, then I'm coming to your house with my car and I'm knocking down your mailbox. Well, that's the law of retaliation, right? Now, sometimes spite gets in there, and right? And I'm going to say, look, I'm taking out your mailbox and I'm putting a nice rut across your grass as well. You know, that's, that's escalating it as well. But this law of retaliation is actually what the Hebrew people lived by. Because do you know where it's actually taken? The Latin phrase is taken from a Hebrew phrase. Do you know what the Hebrew phrase is? It shows up in the Old Testament, eye for an eye. You see, instead of pulling this this full understanding of how we interact with people, this one phrase, eye for an eye, is pulled, and it's developed into the law of retaliation. This is how we're supposed to interact with people. If they do to you, You have the freedom to do to them on an equal level as well. Now, most of us sitting here, if I asked you right now, would not stand up and say, amen, Tom, I agree with that 100%. Like we actually, like we know that doesn't sound like the right thing to say in church. But we roll through our life and we subtly live this way at times. They're going to break off communication with me? Fine. I'm not calling them. It's in their court, you know. And you think of, you're smart enough to think of other practical ways that we actually do this. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? 
In the Bible, you, you remember the story. Uh, you know, guy goes down the road, he gets beat up, he's left for dead. The priest comes by, doesn't stop to help. The Levite who helps the priest comes by, doesn't stop to help, right? Um, and who comes by to help? This Samaritan. And if you've been around church enough, you've probably heard somebody tell you the Samaritans, you know, they were, they were not liked by the Jewish people. They were always at odds, the Jews and the Samaritans. Let me give you a little background. You see, way back... When Israel divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, in the northern kingdom, they established a capital, and they called it Samaria. And so now you had two capitals, Jerusalem and Samaria. And so uh, there was a little bit of friction that went on there. I, I grew up in Moreno Valley, California, one high school until my sophomore year of high school. Then what did we have? High school number two came in, Canyon Springs. You didn't need to tell us that was our rival. Like, you didn't need to tell us we're going to have friction, you know, with that, or we wanted to beat their snot out on Friday nights at football. We never did, but we wanted to, right? That's just how we lived it out. They did the same thing. Samaria and Jerusalem, they had this animosity right away. And so uh, then, if you remember in the Old Testament, if, you, if not, let me just share with you. There was a, a, a time where the northern kingdom of Samaria was wiped out. Southern King Jerusalem wiped out. They all went and they were in exile in different locations. When they were returned from exile, when that all ended, we actually got a mix of people, a mix of the northern kingdom and southern kingdom came together and, and ended up in Jerusalem. And you'll remember the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament rebuilt the wall. That, that story is about it, that book in the Bible. Well, there's also uh, the story about the rebuilding of the temple, and what we find here is there was such animosity among some Jewish folks, especially some of the leaders, that the Samaritans were mixed with them in Jerusalem now, that they told them, no, you can't rebuild the temple with us. And there was this frustration and anger. So there's a lot in that story, more than I have time to tell you, but eventually what happened was they just went up and they built their own temple, right? And now you don't just have two capital cities now you have two temples. You have two groups of people who are saying, this is the place that God said we're supposed to worship him. Your temple, that's false. Think about the animosity now that's starting to kick up. And so because of this, we actually see in the history of, these, of Samaria and Jerusalem that they would actually do things to each other over the years. We find out that that in 128 BC that... A group from Judea, an army, went in and actually destroyed most of the temple in Samaria. About 100 years later, Samaritans retaliated. They came into the temple in Jerusalem, and they threw a bunch of like dead animal carcasses into the temple. You would think, like, well, okay, I mean, sounds bad, but you clean it up, move on. No, that made the temple unclean entirely by Jewish law. So much had to be done to repurify the Jewish temple. Then Jesus comes onto the scene. So think about the law of retaliation here. Now it's at the time where, like, the Samaritans just did this. It's our turn. You know, it's our turn to go knock down their mailbox, right? That's what's going on here. This is fresh in their mind. And Jesus tells a story, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan. This isn't just people they didn't like. This was their enemy, and that's how Jesus looked at it. And Jesus is practically saying, listen, this is how we interact with one another. 
So he goes on in the next verse, verse 44, take a look. He says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Seems common, right? Right? Seems cultural for us today. That holds out. I tell you, though, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Listen, make sure you're reading that right. Jesus did not say, I say, you know, temper your thoughts, temper your actions, tolerate your enemies, you know, find a way to be in the same room without going to blows. Jesus goes so far on the other side that he says, love your enemies. Like, like Jesus says, look, love David, no matter how he puts his pickles on the burger, like love him. I certainly wasn't thinking that way in high school, right? Put it in more serious fashion in your life. People who have wronged you, people you've disconnected with, people like maybe you're at the total far end of the political spectrum and you hardly can say a word at times without eventually going to this verbal argument. And Jesus is saying, if you look at anyone like that, that you would say, that feels like an enemy, that feels like an adversary, that feels like somebody that even if I won't verbalize, that's an enemy, we certainly seem to function that way. Love them. Love them. Notice in the first section when he says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, um, those are two things I can just do in my heart, in my head. Like, like I can just, you know, just like... You know, I don't, I don't actually have to do anything, action. Jesus says, no, love them, and I want you to put it into action. Pray for them. Now, some of you are like, no problem. I've been praying for my enemy for a long time. I have been praying a strong, harsh prayer against my enemy, and I'm waiting for God to answer that. I've been going back and looking at any psalm where David prayed against his enemy, and I'm praying that over and over and over. Listen, uh, they're in the Bible, but as I read Jesus, what he's saying here, it doesn't seem like that's what he's referring to. The context seems like Jesus is saying, bless them with your prayer. Pray for them. Lift them up. Whatever's going on in their heart, pray that God would draw them near and they would surrender their life to, to Christ if that's how you need to pray. Pray that the Lord would soften both of your hearts. However you need to pray, pray for those who persecute you. Now, we don't go around a lot saying people are persecuting me. In some instances, uh, certainly. But you need to put it in context when Jesus is talking about it. These Jewish folks in Jerusalem, they don't have their freedom anymore. They're under Roman occupation. They're under Roman rule. And this was a very passive-aggressive takeover. Uh, basically, they used culture. They used, like, sometimes Western culture has come into parts of the world, and, and Western culture seems to offer promises and, and uh, you know, comes with bells and whistles and those type of things. That's kind of how the Roman Empire came in. It's called Hellenization, and they offered culture. But they were also pretty brutal about it. There was also an increase in taxation. There was an increase in rules and laws and things that they would have to do as now under the Roman Empire. And so it was like this. You have your freedom. Don't step over this line. You have your freedom, but if you don't get your taxes paid, we, you know, your land becomes ours. To pay off your taxes, then you can work on your land that you once owed, owned, but now we do. That was kind of how the Roman Empire came in, in lots of ways. So you can see the Jewish people, not a lot of love for the Roman Empire here. They viewed them as an enemy, an adversary, that they're just figuring out how to function within that world. 
Can you understand now why the phrase tax collector shows up so often as people that were not liked? Because they worked, Jewish people working for the Roman Empire. They weren't well received. The religious leaders didn't always make it hard for certain groups of people. Those who were poor and disenfranchised, uh, the, actually the religious leaders often said they were the people who were not blessed at all. There was different tribes as well. That was still a big deal. You know, your, your tribe, how do you trace your ancestors? There was a caste system there. There was, I was born into this, I'll always be in this. And I fit somewhere on the scale of notoriety or importance. All of that was going on. There was lots of opportunities to look at somebody and say, I view this person as adversary or this person as enemy. And Jesus is saying, for all those, love them and pray for them. But you got to know, this is absolutely contrary to how the Hebrew people functioned completely. And you know what? I think it is for us too. I think it's still contrary to how we function and what our knee jerk is. Do you remember Jesus when he went to the cross? He like literally plays out and gives us an example of this. As he's on the cross, right? And he's looking at those people who were part of putting him on the cross. What does he say? He turns to God and he prays and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is giving us this example of how this is done, to love and to pray for them. Listen, I've had some adversary situations. I've had some things where I've not gotten along, gotten sticky situations with people. I've never been put on a cross by them. I've never been in this situation. And I'm thinking, like, if Jesus could go to this degree, then certainly, certainly we can as well in our situations. So Jesus has that example. But let's look on at what, what happens and what he says next. Verse 46, 47, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? What's Jesus getting at here? Uh, Jesus simply saying this, he, he, he's saying that, that like those who turn from God, who have never believed in God, like those people know how to love each other, right? They, know, they love the people that love them. And Jesus is saying, like, like, what advantage is there to the person who is a Christian, who is a believer, to only love the people that love them, only love the people they get along with, only love the people that it's smooth with them? What makes a Christian different? Jesus is saying we love everyone. Everyone. Like that means the people that are difficult in your life, you love them. The people that are inconvenient in your life, I mean the people that when they start talking, you just go like, that we love them. All the way to the people that have actually wronged you. Or your, your disagreement is not over pickles. It's over something deep and hurtful and serious that we love. That's what Jesus is saying, love them. Now, certainly, like we always say, there's boundaries that are sometimes put in place after situations. There's protections. There's ways to be smart about it. But that doesn't change that we can love them. Do you remember last week we talked about a passage? It said, don't get drunk on wine, but instead, what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
be filled. Like Jesus, Paul was the one talking about it. But, um, but what's actually being taught here is that we're to be filled and led and, and guided by the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, if we live out our life and our behavior the same way somebody who does not have the Holy Spirit, does not have Christ in their life, then what is the purpose? What's the, what's the advantage? Why do any of this? Listen, the Holy Spirit, it was not given to us so that we could have like an enthusiastic singing time or worship service time, or that we could get all revved up when we're together, though that's an important aspect of what we do. The Holy Spirit was given to help us live out the grace of God in everything we do, always, to everyone. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. So we look at it and we say, the Holy Spirit empowered me. And guess what happened? I love that person who up till now has been my enemy or my adversary or whatever word you've used to describe it. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. That makes us different, different. That's the life that, that Christ has to give. What reward is there without that is what Jesus is saying. Nothing. There's no advantage. We're just living out our days saying I'm Christian without letting Christ be the center and the Holy Spirit do his work. Jesus says it this way, John chapter 13. I give you a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, just like Christ. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you love one another. Notice it says it, it, it's, it's not... Everyone will know my disciples. If you get to your Bible studies, you know, add one more into your schedule would be good. Every, if you'll get to your small group, you know, that's important. Um, everyone will know your disciples. If you're going to church every Sunday, check it off. Good attendance and those type of things. Um, all those, I think, are important. You know that. I think they're vital to our Christian growth. But you can have all those, and if you don't have love, you're missing it. You're missing what Jesus is teaching us all the time. You're missing the core of the gospel, that God so loved us that he sent his son to die for us, that we would have eternal life, life that starts immediately, not just when you die, immediately, and that we would go out and we would share that love with other people and invite other people to know Christ as we know Christ. That's what he'd have us do. So here's a couple takeaways. Let me just ask a couple questions. One is this. Have you lifted your feet to the current of culture? What I mean by that is you're, you know, you're sitting in a boat with a current, you know, and let's say it's shallow enough that you can put your feet down on the ground and you're not going to go anywhere. But if you lift your feet, even in a shallow water that has current, it's going to move you and it's going to take you. The current of culture will take us somewhere that I don't think God's word and the, the gospel is wanting us to go. If you've lifted your feet, maybe in this area, maybe you're just like, well, I just kind of, I guess I just kind of bought in to how I'm supposed to treat an enemy or an adversary or something like that, whatever word you use, because that's, that's kind of what we do. That's what we've always done. That's just how people have always functioned, just the same way the Hebrews did. Maybe it has nothing to do with this issue of, of, uh, of enemies, and it's some other area of your life where you've said, I've just kind of gone along with the way the culture has developed and taught and what I've heard, but it may not be what God's word is teaching me. Leads me to the second question. 
In what ways exactly does God call you to live? How is God calling you to live? When we talk about, here's one way to love your enemy and pray for those, there's one way he's calling you to live. Folks, the only way you're going to understand fully how God wants to empower you to live is by opening God's word and getting in it and studying, being around a group of Christians that will teach you that and let that, let that flow into you as well. And listen, I try really hard on Sunday mornings. I, I put together this message. I started weeks ago trying to put this together and write it out. I come about 6.30 on Sunday mornings to get up here, most Sundays, sometimes in the fellowship hall, and, and preach it out loud to an empty room. Because by the time I get up here, I want to make sure I share God's word exactly how he's given it. So I work hard on that. Because there's no way I can give you what you need to live out what God wants you to do and how he wants you to live in a 30-minute message. It'll never happen. Open up God's word. Dig in God's word and ask the question, what ways exactly does God call me to live? This morning, we've talked about a couple. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. When you, re- when you look at that in God's word and you find these ways God has called you to live, the last thing in your takeaway, it's simple. It's what your parents told you, right, when you had that interaction. Then go do it. Live it out. Live it out. Even if you're not fully bought in, you know God is saying to do it. Just go live it out and test. Test to see if God's goodness is not found in that. I want to pray for you this morning, but I recognize that there's probably some of you, um, you're not going to turn to your neighbor, you're not going to stand up and say it right now, but you have one of these issues going on in your life. Like for you, sitting out here, I mean, let's be blunt. For you, it could be your spouse. You're like, man, we have become adversaries. I don't even know how it happened. We're trying to figure this thing out, but man, whatever we do, it's a mess. Maybe it's a coworker. That happens quite a bit. Could be something you're like, man, that was years ago. I haven't even thought about it because I just tried to move on and get as far away from the situation and then um, let it go. But there was never resolution. And when the name comes to mind now, I even think of that time he or she did that. I don't know what your situation is, but I want to pray for you. But here's what you do. While I'm praying, I just want you to turn to God. And if at all you've said, I have not chosen the love them and pray for them route at all, would you just go before God and say, God, forgive me of that. Forgive me of deciding I would go the way of culture and not how you're teaching He'll do it in an instant. And then would you, as soon as you've done that, would you just immediately pray for that person? Whatever that prayer looks like, would you just pray for them right here, right as I'm praying? Lift that person up. And then I'll close this out. Let's pray. Father, I believe there's many people in here. This is just life. This is in any group of people that we probably have people in our lives that we would say, I've not followed what Jesus is teaching here. The result is actually, we find in his words, so much better life, so much better relationship, so much less stress and anxiety. But it's also the opportunity to win a friend, to gain somebody in my life that I might be able to share Christ with. Wow, what would it look like, Lord, if this, this adversary relationship one day turned in 
to friendship, and then that person saying yes to you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I think your way's better. So Lord, would you just hear anyone who needs to just confess to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for not walking at this in your ways. And everyone then that immediately starts praying for that person and praying for that situation, I'll give you a moment. You take that time in your heart. And Lord, now you've heard it. And I love, Lord, that you put action on things always. That's how you send us out, doing this love thing in action. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that every person in here would go out and they would now put in this action of loving them and praying for them regularly. And their interactions would be different and friendship would be gained. But even if it's not, Lord, would they not give up doing what you've called us to do this morning? Lord, we'll pray it in your son's name. Amen.